What's up, y'all? Tanner Demling back with y'all again for another episode of the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Y'all can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere where you get your podcast. Subscribe, like, and leave us a rating. Check out the site, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season on social media at Lacrosse Bucket, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. What's up, y'all? Tanner Demling back with y'all here for another episode of the Lacrosse Bucket podcast. No guest on this week, but a big show on deck as it was a monumental weekend for the game of lacrosse, you could say, uh, from the pro game to the college game. A lot went on, and some big steps were taken um, in the lacrosse world um, in one city, I should say. Um, So getting right into it, you know, uh, starting off here with the NLL. So first off, two big pieces of news, um, or I guess takeaways from the weekend. First is there are no more unbeaten teams. And secondly, Austin Stotts is back. Came in on Saturday night. Played with San Diego. If you remember, he tore his ACL late in the season last year. Was the NLL's Rookie of the Year. Really a generational type talent. So great to see him back on the floor. Uh, I believe he only had one goal in his return, but nonetheless, great to see him back, and uh, he'll start to get more back into, uh, have a bigger uh, piece foothold in the offense as uh, he starts to come back more, Uh, but he's worked hard to get back to where he is, and it's always great to see Austin Stotts out there on the floor. Starting with the games this weekend, I mentioned there are no more unbeatens in the NLL as the Toronto Rock took down the Halifax Thunderbirds 12-9. to I mean, and this is one where really it was even the whole way. And, you know, coming into this game, you kind of thought it was going to be this way. Um, and it ended up being like that. Halifax again, like, and I. This was a. This was something that week one people were talking about, and I didn't really think too much of it, being the first game of the season. And they've done this multiple times, where they will go on stretches where they just cannot get the offense generating, but when they're on, they're the best team in the league, and we've seen that multiple times. This week, I think, was the first the first time that we've seen Halifax get down and not be able to come back up fully. Toronto had two big runs in um, in the in the both the second and the third, and they were up eleven to five at the end of the third. And uh, Halifax again, they made a push in the fourth. Just like they made a push in the second half last weekend 
uh, two weekends ago now against Buffalo and came back. Oh, excuse me, against Calgary and came back. They weren't able to do that. Um, Dan Dawson with three goals, one assist here. Rob Hellyer, two goals, one assist. Zach Manns had three assists as well. For, for Toronto, that offense is looking looking good. Nick Rose, 42 saves, 51 shots. Um, thought he played well. Warren Hill, I thought he played he played decent. But overall, Halifax just did not look like we've seen them. And Toronto was able to, to, to hold them down long enough to where they couldn't come back up. So Toronto, first team to take down the Halifax Thunderbirds. We had Georgia and Philadelphia. Play on Friday night as well. The Georgia Swarm get the 12 to 11 win on the road. Um, it was a high scoring game, really back and forth in the first half. Georgia got ahead 10 to 7, and then it became a goaltender battle. Mike Poulin and Zach Higgins were amazing in this game. Uh, Poulin, 33 saves off of 44 shots. Higgins, 32 saves off the same amount of shots, which I honestly honestly think those shot numbers seem low. Um, But that's what the stat sheet sheet says. Um, But it it does seem a bit low because there were a ton of shots all game. Shane Jackson, again, with another big game for Georgia. Seven points, three goals, four assists. He has now had a hat trick in every single game for Georgia this season. He has been their leader on this offense this year. Surprisingly, you still have Lyle, you still have Miles and Randy Stotts who have done their work. Randy Stotts took a while to come around. This season, for whatever reason, Lyle, you know he he he's had some ups and downs um, in terms of us. He's be, he's been kind of turned into more of a passer this year. Uh, he had five assists in this game and one goal. Uh, Jordan Hall also had set, uh, six points, two goals, four assists. Matt Lambeau leading Philadelphia with seven points, two goals, five assists. Kevin Crowley had two goals and three assists for the Wings. Also, Trevor Baptiste continuing his good uh, stretch of games, a great stretch of games, I should mention, uh, through this, well, about midway through the season already. Uh, but he's been playing fantastic all year. Um, you know, Mike Poulin, I thought, again, I'll mention him, stood tall down the end. Um, Georgia was able to kind of answer. And late in the game, it got a little back and forth again. Uh, multiple two-goal runs, I believe, for each for each team. Uh, Randy Stotts answered with two uh, to put him up 12 to 11, I believe. Um, and then Philadelphia had some prime uh, opportunities. So Stotts puts him up 12 to 10. Josh Curry got an extra. Uh, they got an extra attacker on. Josh Curry scored late in the game, and really Philadelphia in that last minute had a couple opportunities, but Mike Poulin shut the door 
including one that was just, I mean, it absolutely, absolutely ridiculous save uh, there from Poulin. Well, I can't remember who it was, but they, you know, they went short side and you know, he, he just stuck it. And he had another one like that as well. Where I, he was going to the other side and just really puts his stick out, uh, makes that save. Mike Poulin uh, was fantastic over the weekend. Buffalo 16, Rochester 15. Um, the one thing I'll say about this is like, it, the if you thought the Buffalo Rochester rivalry was dead, or that it moved to Halifax, it didn't, y'all. It stayed. It stayed in Rochester. Um, these two teams were going at it all night long. Um, you know, Sean Evans had a great game for Rochester. Your Dane Smith had eleven points for Buffalo. Four goals, seven assists. Sean Evans had seven for Rochester. Holden Gatoni had nine for the Nighthawks. Chris Chris Cloutier had eight points for Buffalo. Josh Bone with six. This was an offensive tout um, from early on. And um, Matt Vance, I thought, played a, a big role down the stretch when Buff, uh, Rochester had a couple opportunities to really get ahead. Um, Matt Vance, I thought, played very, very well in this one. Steve Flyer played pretty well for the Nighthawks. And this one, no, it, it came down to the wire. But, like, the thing is, Rochester, they came back again. Um, I believe they came back against Calgary to get their first win in franchise history. Um, they came back again in this one. Um, they they went down 5-1 to one at the end of the first and 7-3 at half. And uh, Holden Gatoni, he got two consecutive goals just seconds into the third. And that just got Rochester going, and they just were clicking on all cylinders from there on out to get uh, within one. They tie it up. Uh, they got ahead 15 to 14. Sean Evans puts him ahead. Chris Cloutier ties it up for Buffalo. And uh, Corey Small with the game winner, another game winner for Corey Small in Buffalo. He's sitting there right on the doorstep. Chris Cloutier bangs it to him, puts it short side, I uh, believe it was, for the win. Saturday night was even a bigger night in the NLL. You had Vancouver and San Diego each claim wins. Both games took place in casinos. Vancouver 10, New England 6. This is what I don't want to talk too much about this one because. So the one thing I do want to talk about with this is Vancouver is getting on a roll here. And I'm, I'm going to get at that. Eric Penny, 44 saves off of 50 shots. Literally earlier this week, um, he was kind of proclaimed as the bona fide, excuse me, bona fide starter when they released Aaron Bold, really solidifying Eric Penny as the bona fide starter. And he's, he's played like it all year long, too. And last year, even going back to last year, he played very well. Vancouver just got ahead, and they never really looked back in this one. Um, Mitch Jones, 
Five points in this one, three goals to assist. Keegan Ball as well. Sam Clay played played very well. Uh, really, the only amount of offense that New England was able to create, and I'll mention that, like the Vancouver defense. This is the best I've seen them play in quite some time. Joe Vesateris had three goals and two assists for New England. That's literally the only guy that had more than one goal or point. Um, well, Riley O'Connor had two points and Stephen LeBlanc had two assists, but outside of a couple guys, they really held them scoreless in a lot of areas. And really, it was Joe Vesateris um, that did the work. And again, the Joan Aldella went 18 to 20 at the faceoff dot for the Black Wolves, but that didn't seem to matter as often it does in box cross. But just total, really, domination from Vancouver from from all angles. I mean, limiting, uh, you know, guys like Calum Crawford to, I think he had zero goals. Um, yeah, Calum Crawford was held scoreless. He had two assists. That's it. Um, just to limit guys like that and just take them out of a game, really, and make them you know, really focus on Joe Vesitaris as that guy on offense for New England. Very impressive defensive performance from Vancouver. And as I mentioned, led by goalie Eric Penny, who has uh, been very, very good for them. Been a revelation, I should say, for the Warriors this season. San Diego and Colorado. Went head-to-head down in Las Vegas, Nevada. At Orleans Arena. San Diego, 17. Colorado, 10. And, you know, two things. Like, this is this was a good game early on. Uh, San Diego just kind of ran away with it late in the game, honestly. Um, I mean, if you look at the box score, like, Colorado, they got up 3-1 at the end of the first. And then from there on out, it was pretty much San Diego. From the end of the half when San Diego was up 8-6, to and we'll talk about that end of the half um, goal just here in a second, but San Diego, really, that second half, they started firing on all cylinders. And it really started early on in the second. And just from there on out, they um they were able to just dominate this game. You saw Austin Stotts come back, as I mentioned. Uh, Casey Jackson leading the way for San Diego. Eight points, five goals, and three assists. He played out of his mind in this game. Westberg had six points. Eli McLaughlin and Ryan Lee kind of led the way for Colorado. Those two known commodities there. And uh, San Diego just was able to run away with this one, um, to be honest with you. And it got a little chippy late in the game. And uh, we did have Kyle Killen get ejected um, for squirting water at a fan. I know you see that all the time in uh and uh, Saskatchewan, if you know what I, if you, if you know what I'm talking about, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he sits there and kind of 
uh, pokes at the uh, opposing players when they're in the penalty box and gets water squirted at him. No, uh, I think he was on Twitter talking about about that a bit. Um, but um, yeah, so Kyle Killen got ejected, and then uh, you had I don't know how many because let's look at the game sheet here. So that was in the fourth, I believe. Yeah, that was in the fourth. You had like. Yeah, it was at 10-19 mark, I believe it was. It was Brody Merrill and Dylan Kinnear uh, were kind of going at it. Kyle Killen got ejected. Game misconduct there for Kyle Killen. He got tossed uh, at the 10-28 mark. Uh, and the 10-28 into the... So about five minutes left in the game is when he got ejected and then when all that stuff went down there um, between Merrill and Kiernan, they wanted to go at each other. Um, but Brody Merrill also had a big goal to kind of, I don't want to say this started the San Diego second half run, but you could certainly could say it gave them a lot of energy. 200 foot shot on the empty net at the buzzer to end the half. Brody Merrill now holds the record, I believe, for longest shot. The longest goal in the NLL and the MLL. If you'll remember a few years ago when he was playing with the Boston Cannons in Major League Lacrosse, he had, I literally think he, he stepped like one foot in bounds. It was on the buzzer and just sh- chucked it from one end of the field and it went in uh, into the goal. He's in like, I think like the back corner of the, of the field, and he just takes one step, and like those two seconds on the clock, you know, no one expects you know what they're gonna do, whether um, they can even get a goal, and he just chucks it. Uh, similar situation here with San Diego, he just kind of you know ch- chucked it down there, and uh, got himself a goal. Um, yeah, so big time, big time play for Brody Mill there. And uh, overall, you know, NLL in Vegas, um, you know, I was a fan of it. Thought that the the production was was very well, very put together. Uh, the fan support looked to be good. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know how many. Um, let's see, what was the the announced attendance? Let's look that up. Um, while I'm looking that up, I don't think the like, what, I don't know if the attendance was more so. People from so the announced attendance was four thousand eight hundred and twenty-one. So, you know, pretty decent there. I don't know how many that arena holds or how many seats they opened up for it, um, but it, it it looked pretty good to me. Um, so NLL uh, expanded Las Vegas. I'm a fan of it. If 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 they choose to do that, if they want to do that, uh, you know, based on you know, I, I think you might want to because. And again, Las Vegas, like it's an event city, so you're always gonna have people that are gonna come to your games. And building kind of a fanship and all of that is kind of one of the difficult things, I think, with Las Vegas. But if you look at what the Golden Knights have done, uh, I mean, they've done pretty well for themselves in the NHL there in Las Vegas. The Oakland Raiders are moving to Las Vegas in the NFL next season, so. 
hey, uh, uh, why not try it and see if it works? If it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, overall, first game in Vegas, I would love to see something like that pop up where they have kind of – they have a game like that every year. Um, I would prefer it be an all-star game. That that would be nice to bring back the you know, all-star game and go to a place like Las Vegas um, and have that. But – We'll see if 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 that ever happens or comes back again. But overall, NLL um, neutral site game. Which was, I, mean, I guess it was technically a home game for the Seals because they were the ones that kind of put it on. It was their floor that they brought in and everything. But neutral site game there. You know, I, I was a fan of it. Thought the production quality went good. I mean, I know it's a huge undertaking and all of that, but thought it was very good. Um, Week 11 in the NLL starts on Friday with Buffalo at Vancouver. Mentioned Vancouver getting hot. So we'll see. And Buffalo is on a two-game win streak as well. So we'll see if um, who can keep that going here on Friday night. On Saturday, and that one's at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, on Saturday, we got the rivalry game going on between Colorado and Saskatchewan. I believe this is their third meeting of the season. Um, that one is at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That is the NLL Game of the Week, so it's free to stream on BR Live, Facebook, and Twitter. At 9.30 p.m., you have New York at Calgary. See if the Riptide can put the pieces back together. Calgary, obviously the defending champs. Um, see if they can get a win, how much. You know, I, I would expect them to win that one, expect their offense to kind of just um, coast through New York, uh, through the Riptide, as, as many have done this year. On Sunday, we have two games, one at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time and one at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. The 2 o'clock game is Vancouver at Rochester, and the 3 o'clock game is Buffalo at Toronto. Two decent ones going on there. Obviously, Buffalo and Vancouver both playing on Friday night, so they have double headers this weekend. Uh, Friday night and Sunday games. They have that Saturday day as a travel day. So that is what is coming up in week 11 in the NLL and what's what went down in week 10 in the NLL. Obviously, Vegas headlining the weekend with San Diego and Colorado playing the last weekend. Um, we have another unique site this year for the Seals as they will play. I believe it's in March, I want to say. Late February, early March. Uh, they will play on the, on a runway at a U.S. Marine base. So they're putting a lacrosse arena on a runway outside. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, Vegas seemed to go pretty well, so we'll see how how this next one goes up here in, in a few weeks with San Diego. Going on to the college game 
Week zero took place over the weekend. As we had about 13, was it 12, 13 games? So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, no, 13 games over the weekend. Um, a lot of action. Uh, college across is back. A lot of y'all are excited. Um, just going over the scoreboard right here. Cleveland State versus Marquette. Marquette gets the 11-10 to 10 overtime win in the battle of two new head coaches. Andrew Stimmel gets his inaugural win at Marquette. Andy German will be kept waiting and the Vikings. Bucknell and Furman. This one was in Durham, North Carolina. I believe it was at Duke, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Bucknell, 16. Furman, 9. The Bison took care of business there. NJIT beat Hampton 24-7. to So, Coach Rashad DeVoy and the Hampton Pirates take a loss in his debut as head coach against the Highlanders. It's actually in NJIT's first ever season opening win. Season opening home win, I believe. A home opener win. North Carolina took care of Colgate 10, uh, me, 19 to 6. Chris Gray in his debut as a tall heel. We'll talk about him a bit later on here. Detroit Mercy came back from down. I uh, believe they were down a, by a, a couple bit at a, at the end of the first. They come back, win 15-14 to 14 over Jacksonville on the road. Mercer took care of Division II Florida Tech, 19-5. Yes, Mercer played Florida Tech, which is a Division II school. That was not a scrimmage. That was a regular Season game, just for those of y'all asking. Penn State, 16. Lafayette, 9. Uh, the Penn State wagon is back, and uh, it's almost full already. Grant Mac O'Keefe, we're going at it on Saturday. The Nittany Lions look as good as ever. Providence, 12 over Boston U, rival Boston U. Five. So Providence beats Boston U on the road 12 to 5 to open the regular season. Providence, uh, I believe this is their first win over Boston U in about uh, three, four years. Rutgers 20, Quinnipiac 9. Um, we'll talk about a goal from Quinnipiac because they actually did have a. Sports Center top 10 goal, but uh, Rutgers looking good. That offense was working. Uh, I mean, Quinnipiac ran into a buzzsaw there 20 to 9. The Scarlet Knights get it done. Holy Cross goes into North Andover, Massachusetts, and spoils Merrimack's Division 1 opener or Division 1 debut, winning 13 to 12. Holy Cross got up like 
want to say it was 3-2 and then like 5-3, something along those lines at the half, and they uh, were able to stay in front there. Merrimack came back late in the game. Uh, Holy Cross, I thought, did a good job holding Charlie Bertrand, uh, who is Merrimack's number one player and uh, the reigning, guess not reigning anymore, but he was the two-time Division II player of the year. Uh, they held him to just two goals, and they both came late in the game. Uh, one came m- about midway through the game, one late. Maryland took care of High Point 23-12. to um, The Maryland Terrapins, this is the highest scoring output in, I believe I saw it was like since 2013, uh, somewhere in that time frame. And so they played absolutely fantastic. High Point gave them a bit of trouble in the first half. Uh, Parker Green, got to give him a shout-out. Um, freshman goalie at High Point, I thought he played fantastic. He had 12 saves against Maryland. Um, he didn't play the whole game for the Panthers, but he looked, uh, started and looked very good. Um, you know, Throwing the shoes of Tim Troutner is not going to be easy uh, for anybody. And I thought he did that very well, but Maryland gets the win, twenty-three to twelve. The big one of the weekend. We're going to talk about this more in depth here in a second. Air Force fourteen, Duke thirteen. The Falcons from down five-one, they go on a run. Brandon Dodd. Absolutely destroys the Duke defense. And the Falcons get their third ever win over the Duke Blue Devils on the road in Durham. Utah took care of Bellarmine 16-10. Bellarmine first-year head coach Andy Whitley. Uh, They were able to kind of come back a bit late in the game. Uh, Both teams started fairly slower. Uh, but Utah with uh, Colin Burke and Jimmy Perkins. Colin Burke transferred from Fairfield. Uh, Jimmy Perkins, his second year at Utah, but he transferred from Robert Morris last year. Uh, they both lit it up, and that Utah offense <laughs> is going to be pretty good this year. Now, a couple games I want to dive deeper into here. And that starts with Duke and Air Force. So the Falcons take down Duke. Number seven ranked Duke, I should say. And they, I mean, there were times in this game when you thought Air Force looked like the ACC team. And Duke looked like the SOCON team. Duke looked slow. They started really good. They looked kind of slow. About midway through, they started to slow down. And Air Force, to all their credit, took advantage of that. They knew what they had, and they used it to the best of their ability, and they got this win. Um, I do want to preface this by saying Duke always loses a game like this in February. Um, I wrote about it and kind of the history of this, of this trend. Um, 
they lose like they've been losing in February. 2016 was like the last year they didn't, and that's the year they lost to a freshman to a Loyola with a freshman Pat Spencer in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and Duke had Miles Jones and all of those guys. Um, and they were like expected to go pretty deep. They run into Loyola, couldn't slow down Pat Spencer. Ever since that. So they lose to Loyola to end that 2016 season. 2017, they lose to Air Force, like, was it end of February, something like that. Um, And then they lost to Air Force to start the year in 2018, I believe. Um, But they've just been having this trend over the past couple years. Losing early and losing to teams like this, um, which Air Force is not a bad team by any stretch. I think they're a top 20 team. Uh, they do lost to High Point last year, who was a top 20 team, obviously. And uh, High Point also beat Virginia. So, um, no, Duke, in, like, they come out slow. Um, and also some other bad news for Duke. Joe Robertson will be out for the year with a torn ACL. was announced today on Monday. Uh, so another big hit for Duke, just after losing that tough one to Air Force. Um, and, like, look, Duke had an opportunity to win this game. They got back into it. And, like, because I remember I'm watching the TV. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Duke makes a one-goal game. And then you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, there's still some time left on this clock. Maybe they come back. We're not able to do that. Moving on to the other game here that was on the ACC Network. Um, I just want to talk about Chris Gray in this one. Um, North Carolina, UNC. You know, they, they, Chris Gray is what the offense has been missing for so many years now. Like They've had good guys that can shoot and that can play lacrosse at a high level. And their offenses have been pretty good, but they've never been able to really get over that hump um, of get past 500. They haven't been they haven't been above 500 in the regular season in a few years now. Um, I believe 2016, when they won that national championship, was the last time they were. And a lot of it can be attributed to their offense. And like, yeah, they've had some really good players, but. And last year, a lot of people were talking about, you know, the youth that they have on offense, and this is going to translate well over to the next few years. We input Chris Gray. I mean, this is going to be Chris Gray and uh, Nikki Solomon. This is their offense now. Chris Gray absolutely lit the world on fire. And yet, Colgate, is that a good, you know, tester of how good UNC can actually be um, not really. Colgate actually did look non-existent <laughs> for most of the game. I must say, um, I was expecting them to play a lot better than they did. But uh, Chris Gray, his debut in Chapel Hill was uh, nothing short of fantastic, as he put up a phenomenal performance. He had four goals and one assist for five points. 
in that win. Um, probably outside of Air Force and Duke, the game of the week was, you know, probably Maryland and High Point. Um, in terms of like big time games, um, I mean Maryland, and I mentioned this, their offense. Just Maryland and Rutgers, to be honest with you, they both got big wins, and I thought those offenses looked really good um, <clears throat> this past weekend. I didn't get to watch those games, but uh, I've seen some highlights and have. You know, it was on BTN Plus or whatever. Um, you know, after seeing some highlights and looking at the the box scores of those games, you can clearly see. That Maryland and Rutgers are two teams in the Big Ten that have deep offenses that can really get a lot done. Uh, Logan Wisnowskis for Maryland had six goals. Jared Bernhardt for Roman uh, Pagusi had two. Anthony DeMeo had two. Bubba Fairman had one. You had Nicholas DeMeo make his debut. He had his first college goal. So Maryland, like their offense, just Absolutely really good here. Absolute buzzsaw, um, you could say. And I want to mention this too. Maryland? So a lot of talk's been about the transfer portal and all of this. Maryland could win the transfer portal this year. Um, I thought that kind of, I thought that, you know, coming at the end of the summer, coming into the fall, and now that the season started, I'm starting to think that even more. Nick Grill, defenseman, transfer from Marquette. Chris Brandau, goalie transfer from Georgetown. He got the start, and he played really, really well. That Maryland defense, I didn't, I wasn't sure how good they were going to be this year. And you saw them have some lapses against some high-quality offensive teams last year. And Granite High Point isn't as high-quality of an offense as they were last year in terms of personnel. But they still got Asher Nolting. They held Asher Nolting to one goal. Like, they held Asher Nolting to one goal. That is, that's pretty impressive. Um, I don't, I don't even know if he had, I don't even think he had an assist um, to, to go along with that. Looking here at the box score. But Maryland's defense, I mean, they are going to, they are going to benefit so much from having these two guys that they got in as transfers. Now, Kobe Russell and Ben Baker and Hunter Vines were able to kind of step in and fill that void uh, where Nolting was missing there for high point, but still uh, holding Asher Nolting to just one one goal. Um Okay, he he had one goal and three assists, and he's always going to get his assist. Uh, but holding holding him to just one goal when he is known for taking over games is just absolutely uh, fantastic defensive play there from Maryland. Uh, Rutgers, when you look at them, and we know Kieran Mullins, we know Adam Charlambides, uh Ryan Gallagher had four goals, David Sprock had three, Mullins had two. Charlotte Beatties had one. So, I mean, that's a team there. They have so many. And, again, it was against Quinnipiac, who might not be the best um, the best defense in the world. 
Quinnipiac's a respectable team, top two MAC team. They were able to get it done. So those two offenses, really offensively, is what I took away from the most. I mean, we knew what Penn State had, you know, and all of that. Um, but honestly, those two games probably in in the Big Ten spectrum of things and looking on the offensive end uh, really stood out to me with teams that can possibly, I think, could possibly, and again, like, don't take too much away from February results, but just from the depth that they've showed, can go deep in the, in the conference. And obviously, Maryland, um, a top five program all time and in, in every year. Um, I never count out any Maryland team coached by John Tillman. <laughs> um, looking, I, wanna, I did mention here, Braden Host, I believe his name is, uh, the goalie for Air Force. He played fantastic. Um, and then we had a couple sports center top 10 goals. One from Cornepiac was number two. Uh, behind the back, um, like over the shoulder behind the back, bouncer against Maryland. Absolute uh, insane goal there. So overall, good weekend in the NCAA. Week one is what this weekend is called in college cross as a week zero is over and week one is upon us. In week one of the NCAA season, we will see a lot of lacrosse, a lot more lacrosse than we saw last weekend for sure. Um, just going over a couple games here. That stand out to me, and I'll do the whole weekend preview show with NLL and uh, college on that will come out on Friday. But just a couple games here. So obviously LIU making their D1 debut. They will play Siena at 1 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, we have Colgate and Syracuse on Friday. Remember Colgate upset Syracuse in the dome last year. But based off what they did against UNC, I'm not really expecting as much as I was uh, before that game. But still, it's a new kind of era for Syracuse, if you will say, with uh, Chase Scanlon coming in and then Pat March coming in and as their offensive coordinator. Tucker Dordovic will be back for the Cues as well. Joe Amplow makes his debut as the head coach at Navy as they take on Manhattan on Saturday. We have two big-time games here. Um, I say big-time, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, because I, I don't know if they're going to be as big as they were in years past with what these teams lost. Um, Johns Hopkins and Towson and Virginia and Loyola. Um, Hopkins and Towson. You can call it a rivalry if you want. I don't necessarily consider it that much of one. Just because Hopkins is 30-3 and all-time against the Tigers. Now, most of Towson's wins have been in the past five, or all of them have been in the past five years. They've alternated every single year of who's won. 
Hopkins lost last year. Towson loses a lot of personnel. I think it's Hopkins' year. Um, and then you have Loyola and Virginia. They've faced each other 11 times since 1987. Each year since 2013. The Greyhounds lead the all-time series 6-5. Virginia coming off that national championship run. Opens up against Loyola. And this this is always one of the best early season games that people kind of forget. um, Because you don't really have that many marquee matchups early early in the season, um, you're kind of just sitting there and you're like, oh, Loyola and Virginia, that that's a big-time game. Uh, it always ends up being a pretty good one. Last year it wasn't so much. Um, Loyola kind of took over, but Virginia coming off that national championship game run, definitely a game of interest for sure. Couple other things here. Um, I mentioned SoCon upsets, you know, Air Force over Duke this year. So this weekend could possibly have some. Mosu plays UNC. I don't think anything's going to happen there. Uh, Jacksonville plays Vermont, which I don't think that would. I wouldn't call that an upset if it happened, but I certainly expect Vermont to win that game. Uh, but I expect it to be a pretty tight one. Duke and High Point. Remember High Point beat Duke last year. They're coming off a tough loss against Maryland. Richmond plays Maryland. Uh, the Spiders only lost to the Topes by one goal last season. And they returned a pretty uh, good good, uh, good portion of the squad from last year. I do lose Teddy Hatfield, but with Ryan Lanchbury, uh, Mitch Savoka, a couple other guys coming back as well. Denver plays Air Force in what I like to call the Battle of Colorado. So we'll see if Air Force can keep the momentum moving and take down the Denver Pioneers, which would be a pretty... That that would be one of... I'd have to look this up, but that would probably be Air Force's best start in terms of wins, Um, like who who they've beaten, um, like in their program history. So... Uh, if that does happen, that would be pretty, pretty big. Uh, so a lot on the docket this weekend, and again, I'll get into that later on in the week during our, uh, I did the weekend preview podcast on here. Um, but for now, that is it for this week's Lacrosse Bucket podcast. I'll be back on Friday. Or actually, we'll be back on Thursday with the weekend preview since there are games on Friday. Uh, That will be coming out on Thursday this week, weekend preview. As always, you can check back on social media, at Lacrosse Bucket, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, on the site, lacrossebucket.com. Again, don't forget to uh, subscribe or whatever on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, give us a rating or whatever, um, wherever you listen to your podcast. Again, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.